Well, the world is full of promises for how you can live your best life. And everyone on their quest loves a good inspirational quote to just help them get along with living their best life here and now. Quotes like, we're here for a good time, not a long time, so make every minute count. Or, plant the seeds for success and nurture them and you will be rewarded with a life that blooms. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. That one from Steve Jobs. And of course, as inspiring as those quotes may feel in the moment, there's of course something underlying them that's deeply flawed and wrong. Because of course, you could make every minute count and still fail. Or you could think that you don't have as much success as you ought to have because you know you have wasted the odd minute or two here or there. And so the inspirational quote now becomes a burden of guilt. You could plant the seeds of success and before any blooming occurs you could be tragically killed in an unforeseen accident or war may break out in the land upon which you live and you could focus solely on living your own life ignoring everyone else's only to find yourself lonely unhappy and incredibly tired with no one to help these quotes come from a place, I think, of tying our worth to what we can produce that make us feel valuable. Like, they certainly don't come from a biblical perspective or the perspective that we looked at when we uh, touched on this topic a couple of weeks ago about living life as we were created to live, as image bearers of God. Not only that, but much of our world's advice on how to be truly human and happy and successful is inadequate because it fails to account for sin. It fails to account for the big problem that's underlying all of these quotes and that they're all trying to get us to overcome in different ways. Sin. Sin from within us. We do waste our lives. We do do things that are wrong, that are sabotaging ourselves and others. And the sin around us, the world is broken, people are broken, people are mean, people are evil, people conspire against us. Things that happen that stop us from blooming. So, if we want to answer the question, who we are, who am I, in a robust way, and if we want to be the people that we were created to be, and if we want to find uh, meaningful answers to these questions, then we need to account for reality as it truly is. We need to make sure we confront the reality of sin, the reality of the brokenness in each of us and in the world in which we live. To recap... We're in a, a series now, second week of four, thinking about who we are, about our identity as human beings. What is it that makes us humans? What makes us who we are? How do we answer the question, who am I? 
And there's a lot we could say about this question. As I said when we started, we're dealing with sort of the four foundation blocks of the identity pyramid in this series. There's so much more that we need to build on top of it, and we may do so in a later series. But as we've started, and as we've pondered the question, who am I, we started uh, a couple of weeks ago in Genesis 1, seeing that we were a reflection of God. That's who we are, a reflection of God. We're made in the image of God. I remind you from Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we saw, and you can go back and have a watch, it's on the website, that we are special. We're not like anything else that God created. We're special. We're different because we bear God's image. And what that means is that we were made for relationship with God and that we were made to exercise authority over creation under God's rule and reign. We bring about, what that means is that we're, we're made to relate to God and to bring about order in the world that he's created as his image bearers in the world. But the story doesn't stop there. And many of you will know, it only takes two chapters for human beings to stuff everything up. Genesis 3 comes along and we get some bad news but it's news that accounts for our reality because we know the world is good we know that we have great capacity as human beings for good but we also know the world is deeply flawed and that each human also has capacity for for bad even evil how can it be that we're made in God's image and we're made very good but also there's bad and evil and wrong. Genesis 3 explains, because though we're made as God's reflection, as God's image bearers, we've been ruined by sin. The serpent enters the story representing Satan, who lies to Adam and Eve and entices them to dis disobey God, to ignore him, and to make their own decision against God about how they're going to live. Let me just read from Genesis 3, verses 4 to 6. The serpent says, You will certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They rebelled against God, against who they were made to be. They were made to be God's image bearers and to represent him in the world and to bring about order into the world and to live uh, according to his rule and reign. And now they're ignoring God. They're doing their own thing. They're making their own decisions. We know better than he does. And in doing so, their capacity for relationship with God is impacted and their capacity to properly exercise dominion over the world is impacted. They sin. They ignore God and they seek to do their own thing. And the result of that sin 
is the curse. We read about it as the chapter continues. The serpent is cursed in verses 14 to 15, but for our particular focus today, the woman and the man are cursed too. The woman's curse in verse 16 of painful childbirth and a broken relationship with men. Let me read to you. To the woman, he said, verse 16, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Where there was meant to be partnership and fruitful increase, now that's hard and difficult and broken because of sin. What about the man? Well, the man, now, his work becomes hard. His work of caring for the environment and bringing order and purpose to the, to the garden, it, it's, it's all broken now. To Adam, verse 17, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. The earth is cursed, which makes the man's work cursed. And death. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you will take it, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Sin is led to death. Sin has led to a cursed earth. Sin has led to bitter relationships between men and women. Sin has led to painful childbearing in the pursuit of fruitful increase. Sin has led to the enmity between humans and animals and the serpent's curse. The whole thing horribly broken. And that's a huge deal, but it also accounts for a lot of what we see in our world. And of course, as the Old Testament continues to unfold from Genesis 4 onwards, it continues to demonstrate and unpack the story of God's good creation and God's uh, ambassadors to that creation, human beings created in his image, continuing to have such good capacity for such wonderful things, but falling short all of the time dealing with the, the, the effects of sin and the curse. People continuing to uh, operate in a manner in which Adam and Eve chose to operate, where they decide to do their own thing instead of God's thing, where they decide to worship created things instead of their creator. The story of the Bible teaches us over and over and over again. You can find it in all of the stories that you read, especially in the Old Testament, that sin is just constantly impacting uh, people in different ways and in different manifestations. Not even God's covenant people, Israel, can find their way back to being who they were meant to be. Even they fall victim to sin and fail to live up to God's standards and uh, experience the, the problem of the curse in all sorts of ways. The Apostle Paul, uh, as he writes to the church in Rome in his letter to the Romans, unpacks the impact of sin in more detail. I'm just going to read it to you from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. If you've got your Bibles, you can flick to it. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. 
the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, been understood by, from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged sexual, natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust one for another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not do what ought they, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, god-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love. No mercy, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Sin, horrible, ugly, God-hating sin, and it's everywhere, and it builds, and as people continue to reject the one who made them, their lives continue to get more and more caught up in the perverse effects of sin. Ignoring God, ignoring his reality, and choosing to live how we want to live, instead of how we were created to live under God. Choosing to ignore our relationship with him that he calls us to, and instead just do our own thing in our own way and using whatever we want and whoever we want, however we want, to get what we need. And it has a desperately bad effect on ourselves and on those around us. Sin, ignoring God and living contrary to how we were created to be and every single one of us me and you is guilty of sin. Which means every single one of us deserves the curse and deserves to die. As Paul continues later on in his letter to the Romans to unpack the problem of sin, we read in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who escapes 
and the penalty, the wages, what we earn because of our sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And of course, the rest of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, which we'll come to next week. But do remember that God has a plan to deal with this big problem of sin. But putting his rescue plan, which we're coming to next week when we talk about our identity as people who are rescued, thinking about our identity as people made in the image of God, reflectors of God who are now ruined by sin and, and, have, and we've sort of unpacked the dastardly consequences of that all over for all of our lives and for our world, it's all a bit depressing, isn't it? It's great that we were made in the image of God, but it's terrible that we've chosen to ignore him, that we live under the curse, that we're cut off from God, and that we feel the effects of sin in our own lives and our own uh, failings and in the failings of others and in the, 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 the world that is hard and difficult to get by in. But while it's depressing to think that we fall short of God's standards and that our world is affected by sin and that our friends are affected by sin and that we're going to experience letdowns and failures and hurts and pain, varying degrees because of it. It's also useful to know why the world is how it is. It's useful when we're trying to think about who we are because when we think about the question of who am I, as well as knowing what's good and great about us, which you know our world constantly wants to tell us with motivational quotes, we have to take into account reality. And reality is that our world is, and we are weak and flawed. In fact, any answer to the question, who am I, that doesn't account for the brokenness in the world and the brokenness in each of us is not going to be a helpful long-term solution for getting by in life. And not only is it helpful for us as individuals seeking to properly understand our place in the world and who we are, but it's also useful for how we think about others too. And we saw that last week, didn't we? Remembering that we are God's image bearers and that that applies to every single human being is useful, isn't it? Because it means we have to go and treat everyone as the special image bearer of God that they are, regardless of who they are. But likewise, just like knowing that everyone is special and made in the image of God and made for, in relationship with God and bears God's image and therefore is worthy of respect and honour, so also... It's important to remember that every single person has been ruined by sin. That each of us has the capacity to do evil and wrong, to believe the lies of Satan just as Adam and Eve did on that day in the garden and to seek to do our own life without God. Let me say that knowing that we are sinful people Living in a cursed world, broken by sin, helps us to be humble, helps us to forgive, 
helps us to be slow to judge others, helps us to love our neighbours, being mindful of our own weaknesses and imperfections. And most importantly, it helps us understand that we need some help, that we need someone else to rescue us from this big problem of sin, that we need Jesus. But back to the identity question. Who am I? Created in the image of God, special because of that, made for relationship with him and given responsibility to bring order to our world, but ruined by sin, broken by it, inclined to ignore God and his rule and to do things by ourselves, to be self-centred and self-focused and live living our lives out in a world that is made good by God but is cursed by sin, making our lives often difficult and hard. And being aware of our sin makes us know that we need some help. We need to be rescued if we're going to make any sense of living life in a way that brings life and wholeness and meaning in this world that God has made that sin has impacted. And we'll come to that and to Jesus and his salvation next week. Amen. Amen.